0: And welcome to the Doctor Who Show. I'm Dave.
1: And I'm Rob.
0: And in this episode, we're going to be talking a whole lot of stuff, but our main theme is answering the question, who is New Doctor Who's Beryl Reed? I think it's almost impossible to play a character unless you have some of the things that make you
1: feel absolutely like the character. Yes, something we teased in the last episode. Who is New Who's Beryl Reed? We've got some... Uh... What would you say, Dave? We've got some uh, positive and some negative type uh, actors in mind.
0: Well, we're going to have a chat about this whole issue of celebrity casting or stunt casting, whatever you want to talk about it. It's been talked about ad nauseum about the classic series, particularly J&T's era.
1: John Nathan Turner, the legendary Hawaiian shirt-wearing soft-spoken producer of Doctor Who. It was something I'd been campaigning for for a long time, to produce anything. Mm.
0: but we haven't really spoken about it much with the new series but we've got 10 seasons to trawl over and say does celebrity casting work or doesn't it
1: Mm. yes and as i started to go through those 10 seasons i started to think holy hell there's quite a few people who are who fall into these categories
0: and we've got a lot of good suggestions from our listeners as well so that'll be making up our main segment but quite a few little things to talk about as well in the meantime
1: yes why don't we rip into some news dave
0: Yeah, let's go. What have you got for
1: us, Rob? Well, as much as I'd like to talk about the Matildas winning, I think we should probably stick to Doctor Who. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And Big Finish. This is something I uh, messaged you the other night and said, have a look at this link and please don't have an aneurysm. Dave, did you have an aneurysm when you saw that Big Finish are doing a first Doctor series with David Bradley in the lead?
0: Look, I'm always honest with you, Rob. You're a friend. It's important to be honest with your friends. Thank you. The answer is yes, I did. Oh, no. But it's okay. Look, Look, jokes aside when I read this news after you sent it to me, I'm, I'm going to be honest, I did sit there and go, I don't like this. This is an awful. Mm. Then I sat there and thought, well, do I have any rational reason for not liking it? I actually don't. Okay. And if people are going to buy it and enjoy it, and they want to enjoy David Bradley's interpretation of the first doctor, well, you know, I certainly don't have a problem with that. I could be cynical and say I'm a little bit Worried if this is a little bit exploitative on the part of Big Finish. Mm, Yeah. Uh, But it's certainly not for me. I mean, I love the first Doctor Zero. William Hartnell is my favourite Doctor. And that's the thing. William Hartnell is my favourite Doctor.
1: That's why I thought you might have the aneurysm, because this was dealing with your Doctor.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and I'm comfortable with David Bradley playing the role in the Christmas episode. I've said before that if you can accept Richard Herndl in The Five Doctors, you have to accept David Bradley. Mm. i'm still not comfortable with it though it still to me is inhabiting a space that is rightfully william hartnell's space and that doesn't sit very well with me i'm not going to get up and down and complain about it but neither am i going to go and buy this set of big finish and mm. yeah i didn't like it but i've got to admit i've got no rational reason not to
1: okay let, let me throw out a reason that that could be rational i don't know because I've, I've just made it up i think big finish does some good work But I think it also milks the market. And I think a lot of people think the same because you see constant jokes online. You know, if someone mentions a one-off character from 40 years ago, someone will make a joke about, oh, now Big Finish will make a 12-part box set about it. It's almost a too obvious joke to be making. Everyone makes these jokes. Yes. And it sort of highlights that Big Finish does seem to be quantity over quality. So I guess the shoe fits in that respect. And personally for me, and again, this is just personally, I wish they did less but super high quality stuff rather than just throwing out another month. Oh, here's another release and another release and another release and another release and and Sylvester's doing something and Colin's doing something and all the old doctors are doing something. And now let's branch off into all these other things. And they just pump out the stuff. And I think when you pump out a lot of stuff, quality has to dip. It it can't not dip. And
0: and not only that, because I agree with everything you've said, But if you're just a casual buyer of the product or a casual consumer of the product, what do you buy? Like there's now just so much product and so much content that as somebody who has been a casual Big Finish consumer in the past, I just look at it now and go, I I don't know where to start. And frankly, I can't afford to keep up with all this stuff.
1: Yeah. In terms of buying the CD releases, that's true. Obviously the, the downloads are cheaper and when they have a sale, And you get a download in a sale, that's even cheaper. I think I got a Sylvester McCoy story the other day for a buck or two. But I know what you're saying, particularly for people who want to collect the CDs, and I have, say, with the 8th Doctor Adventures from Big Finish, mine are all on CD, and they have cost a pretty penny, even though I've bought most of them through sales. But yeah, I I had to make that choice to collect 8th Doctor because I thought, oh, well, there's 5th Doctor and he's my Doctor, but there's 8th Doctor and we didn't really get much of him, so I'm kind of interested in that. Oh, but hell, Sylvester McCoy seems to do a good job and wow, everyone raves about Colin. Oh, what do I collect? I ended up collecting 8th Doctor, but I wouldn't mind knowing more about the 5th Doctor range or the 6th Doctor range, but yeah, I just don't have the money.
0: Yeah, and I do worry about just how far you go with all this, and some people won't mind, but... I can now envisage a situation where next year they produce a box set of the Pertwee Adventures with someone playing John Pertwee, somebody playing the Brigadier, somebody playing the Master. Maybe Kenny Manning comes in to play Joe and Nick Briggs as the voice of the computer. You know, at what point do you just go, we'll, we'll just recast the entire Pertwee
1: era? Yeah, well, well, they already have recast Pertwee. Can you hear me? Over. I know what you mean, you know, just going wider and doing more in that area. Yeah, where does, where does it end?
0: And, and there's a difference between let's do this as a bit of an experiment and see if it works or just as a bit of a different thing. And, and, and Big Finish has done that, you know, the, the ranges where they have unusual choices to play the Doctor. That's, that's a great, interesting thing if you want to try it. But when it does seem to be, as you say, you know, it almost starts to look exploitative, mm. I don't know. But I guess there's a market for them and people enjoy them.
1: Yeah, I sometimes wonder how big the market has to be to sustain this, because you talk to Who fans, and most Who fans I know, many of them don't even know Big Finish exists. I know that sounds weird to people who, who know what Big Finish is, but I know Who fans who don't know what Big Finish is. You know, I work with some of them. And out of what's left, how many of those people actually go and regularly buy Big Finish? You know, it's, it's got to be a small market. It's got to be similar to the novels, I would imagine. Oh, I would say smaller. Maybe even smaller. The the one area, though, where, you know, I think they get away with doing The Old Doctors is where, like, Fraser Hines might be reading a story and might do his Patrick Troughton impression uh, or something like that. that. That's kind of nice because he's from the era. He knew Patrick. It's kind of nice. I get that. But, mm, yeah, this other stuff creeping in, I'm, I'm not so sure.
0: It, it, to me, at the end of the day, it kind of depends on the tone and the spirit in which it's done. And I compare it to when I went and saw Adam Lambert front Queen a couple of years ago. Okay. I went with a couple of mates who were a little bit older and had more visceral and personal memories of Queen. And they were very cynical, like, oh, it's just the Queen cover band. And who's this guy I think he is fronting them? But Adam Lambert came out at the start. He said, guys, I'm not Freddie. I love Freddie, and I love Freddie's music. You all love Freddie and Freddie's music. We're just here tonight to celebrate Freddie, and I'll do the best I can to help celebrate in this role. But I'm not here to replace Freddie. Yeah. And the whole audience has gone, okay, that's the spirit we want to do. You know, you're not trying to pretend. We were just checking into one of the hotels, and we realised that Bohemian Rhapsody had gone to number one. The four of us were in the lift, jumping up and down, and the lift stopped. So there we are. I thought, my God, here's the number one group in England going to suffocate in this damn lift. If Big Finish does make this a lovely homage and celebration of the Hartnell era, well, you know, that's good. If it is just, well, here's a chance to turn out more product, I think we've made clear what we think of that.
1: I think so. Shall we move on?
0: Yeah, so a little bit of tangential news. We've been following the careers of Matt Smith and Jenna Coleman since they left the show because they've both gone on to do very similar sorts of shows. Matt Smith obviously is playing Prince Philip in The Crown, And Jenna's been playing Queen Victoria in the series Victoria on ITV. Interestingly, the second season of Victoria debuted three weeks ago and it got a bit of a run in the tabloids because the ratings plunged from 6 million for the first series to opening at 3.7 million.
1: Yes. Now you pointed this article out to me and I had a quick read and they, they seem to be blaming it on promotion. Jenna wasn't doing promotion with the guy who plays Prince Albert because in real life they're lovers and they don't want to do publicity together because maybe people will ask them about being lovers or something. I don't know. Is that the story?
0: Well, that, that was certainly the way that some of the tabloids slanted it because being able to do it as that let's get Jenna" piece is always more sexy in tabloid than just a report about ratings. But it is going to be interesting to see how season two of The Crown goes in about two months time and whether Matt Smith series does hold those ratings because The Crown is a very old school, dry drama. It's wonderful. It takes time to tell a story in a very realistic way. Victoria is very itv it's very downtown Abbey. Yes, you've got all the stuff with Victoria and it's relatively historically accurate. You know, they they change a few of the ages, like Lord Melbourne is about twenty years younger, so there can be that slightly more realistic, flirtatious relationship. But it's <laughs> it, it's all there. But they also do stuff with the servants and you know, what are the servants getting up to below stairs and stuff like that. Indeed, Tommy Knight from the Sarah Jane Adventures plays one of the the um staff downstairs. So they had that sort of upstairs, downstairs, downtown Abbey thing to uh spruce it up i i suspect the crown will hold its ratings better than victoria does
1: yeah yeah do you get the feeling it was perhaps people oh look jenna's playing queen victoria and they all tuned in for the first season but then that was enough for them or something
0: it's taking its time to tell the story of the era um i mean we're only up to just after the birth of prince edward so she's only been on the throne for about three or four years if that gosh and they're into the second season so It is very much taking its time. And I think unless you were really invested in the nuance of Victorian history and you were just there for a bit of glamour, maybe you wouldn't uh, keep up with it.
1: Mm, That's interesting. I, I did enjoy The Crown, but I've not seen Victoria at all. I do like the Victorian era, though, so I do want to see it.
0: You just wind it
1: up here. And you can have music. Whenever you want, Mozart, your favourite.
0: Fair enough. What else have you got to discuss, Rob?
1: Well, um, this is kind of strange, Dave, but Bradley Walsh. Last time we sat down a month ago, we were saying, oh, this weekend we'll probably know if Bradley Walsh is the new companion. Uh, We're a month on and we still don't know. So, (laughs) So we're in this kind of strange limbo where they haven't come out and said, no, look, that's bollocks, don't worry about that. But they haven't confirmed it either. To me, that suggests there might be something in it, that maybe he is the companion, or at least he's got a part in the show, and they're just not wanting to spill the beans yet.
0: I'm going the other way. I tend to think that the BBC can't afford to go around and deny every rumour that pops up, so I think the fact they haven't moved on it would suggest that they're not going to.
1: OK, but what about him as an individual? If, if if you're Bradley Walsh and you're not involved with the BBC and people are saying, oh, yeah, you're going to leave your game show and you're going to go on Doctor Who and that's all false, you don't want people thinking that about you. Wouldn't you just tweet or, you know, go on TV and say, oh, that's just silly silly talk?
0: No, that is true. I hadn't thought about it that way. You are, you are right. Mm. But interestingly, since we last spoke about this, I, for completely different reasons, completely unrelated reasons, went and watched a few episodes of Law & Order UK. Okay. And out of that, I had three thoughts. The first thought I had was, this guy's okay. He's not blowing me away as a wonderful actor, but he's a very competent actor. He does his job very well. Uh, The second thought I had was, every time that the British have been smug, that the US networks steal one of their shows, and it's a disaster, whether it's Faulty Towers, Men Behaving Badly, (laughs) um, Red Dwarf, you know, mm-hmm. there's just this run of British series that have been terrible. I think there, there are two exceptions, "Queerest Folk in The Office. They're the only two that have worked. This is a case of the British trying to do an American series, and it's equally as soulless and terrible and missing the point. <laughs> so so I, th- I didn't think that was interesting. But the main point is I thought if we are getting Bradley Walsh as the companion, on top of the casting we've already had as the Doctor and what we know that Chibnall wants to do, I think this is going to be a resetting of the series like we haven't seen in You Who but akin to... Season seven or season eighteen of the classic series, where everything changes overnight in a in a massive change, both superficial and tone and style and soul will change overnight between seasons. I think that's where we're going.
1: Mm, I think that's a fair thing to say, and not just because of jody's gender, although that is obviously a huge thing. Um, funnily enough, though, people aren't treating it like a huge thing, which is kind of nice. Uh, have you noticed that? It's it's kind of like accepted now. Oh, yeah, Jodie will be the Doctor.
0: I, y- y- yes, I have, but I think that we can't really judge it until she's had an episode to wear, mm. and until those people who watch Doctor Who eating paste and then go and thump the keyboard have had their chance to do that, we won't really be able to judge <laughs> what those paste eaters are actually going to do.
1: True, very true.
0: But speaking of, the synopsis of the Christmas special did Kind of leak Yes What's all this about? So apparently The online BBC store I think in America Is that right?
1: Mm, Yeah
0: They actually loaded A synopsis of the episode Now I've got to say I've read it Because obviously It got copied And it's been widely reported Mm. It's nothing that we didn't already know Although I think, we, I think you could say at it most, it's stuff we kind of thought we might know or suspected has now been confirmed. So I don't think we'll go into the details here because some people don't want spoilers. But if you are interested in knowing which rumors are correct about the, the broad thrust of the episode, that is now out there. Just, just check out a few Radio Times articles and it's all there.
1: Yeah, you're quite right, though, in saying that it doesn't really tell us anything we didn't know, because we've seen that sort of teaser trailer. We've seen scenes from that from which we go, oh, that's where they are. Oh, that's what he is. Oh, there's two doctors, <laughs> you know. Oh, and that's pretty much all this little tease says. And yet they yanked it down. Oh, my God. Pull it down. Pull it down. Mm, mm. It didn't really reveal anything, folks. Don't panic. Don't have a, you know, fit.
0: Yeah, no, it was um interesting, but not a big,
1: big deal. Moving on. Harriet Jones. Did you like Harriet Jones, Dave? Um,
0: Harriet Jones, former Prime Minister. I liked her in her first story. Mm. I liked her in her last story. Mm. Actually, yeah, I did like her. I don't don't think I ever did dislike her. No, I, I liked her.
1: Because there is a new book coming out called Now We Are 600, a collection of Time Lord Verse by James Goss, and it's illustrated by Russell T. Davis. And that's kind of cool. I think it's based on, I think, was it A.A. A. Milne wrote a book called Now We Are Six or something like that?
0: It, it rings a bell, yeah.
1: Yeah, it, it, it's based on that. And so they've, they've done a Time Lord version. And, and Russell T. Davis, who is a surprisingly neat little caricaturist, has, has done all these illustrations. And one of the pieces, one of the poems in it is about Harriet Jones and the fact that she's still alive and didn't die in the Dalek attack in that, um, that season finale episode. And I got so mad about this, I, I shouldn't let these things worry me, but Russell T. Davis is out there saying, yes, yeah, this is canon, she she survived, you didn't see her die on screen, so she's okay now. And I thought, isn't this just typical of New Who, <laughs> just mm. pulling the mat from underneath all the drama, you know, saying, oh no, they didn't die, when that... I thought was the whole point that Harriet Jones started off as this slightly bumbling junior minister becomes prime minister by accident. Then she gets really spiky and hard in the job and the doctor actually has to remove her from power. And then she comes back in that finale. She helps save the day and then gets killed. That was her redemption. I thought that was very powerful, but that nah, that never happened according to Russell T Davis. And I just thought you are kidding.
0: Look, I don't have a lot to add to that apart from what you've said I totally agree. I think that it was a wonderful dramatic moment. I think that it's the sacrifice you have to have to make the threat powerful and to make the resolution powerful and to make a redemption effective. It's a wonderful little piece of an episode. I'm a very big fan of. But more than that, why why can't people just leave it alone? Why do we? You know, it's, it's bad enough when people living in their parents' basement go and write fan fiction about characters that have been long gone for 10 years when (laughs) Russell T Davies is doing it come on dude you've got better things to do
1: (laughs) you would think so anyway we'll move on
0: we shall so as always we like to cover a couple of little minor talking points before we get to our main topic now I'm going to start us off Rob because we occasionally talk about some Doctor Who we've been watching in the last month Mm -hmm. I, I for reasons I still don't quite know decided to go on a bit of a bender and watch a collection of shall we say lowly regarded six parters
1: when you say bender were you, were you drinking as well or <laughs>
0: <laughs> no 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 nothing like that <laughs>
1: oh, okay. I, I, it,
0: w- it was just i sat there and i thought what what are some stories i really haven't watched for a long time and probably deserve another go and out of that i just started picking these disliked or unfondly remembered six parters and i right. said i'm just going to start working through these and see how i go and reaction has been mixed okay well what did you pick So I picked The Mutants, The Time Monster, The Sensorites, and The Seeds of Death.
1: Oh, well, one of those I like outright in in terms of Seeds of Death.
0: Well, I I quite like Seeds of Death as well, and I thought that actually held up quite well. In fact, it was quite even all the way through. But Mm. I know that some people don't have it in the most fond regard.
1: Yeah, it's an odd one, yeah.
0: Uh, The Mutants, I didn't think was great, but after watching it, I was willing to elevate it from its place in my heart as... The worst Pertwee story, I've elevated it now to being the second worst Pertwee story. Right. Uh, The Time Monster, I thought the first three parts were absolute rubbish. Part four, which is basically the Doctor and the Master in each other's TARDISes, I quite enjoyed. But I thought parts five and six were brilliant.
1: Okay, so you're not elevating that down to the worst Pertwee story. I thought that's maybe where we were going.
0: No, no, no. The Time Monster, I have always sort of forgotten about it. I haven't really thought it was the best or the worst. But I thought the last two parts were really good, and I'm glad that I sat down and watched them fresh because I got a lot out of just those two episodes. Mm-hmm. And the Sensorites, I think the Sensorites really benefits almost more than any story for the whole DVD cleanup vidfire process mm-hmm. because it's a very darkly lit story. The Sensorites are very oddly shaped, and they and they mumble, you know, hello, I'm the self-server of the sensorites. <laughs> yes. And if you're watching that on VHS, that's actually quite hard. But cleaned up, you can see the sets, in the, particularly on the spaceship, which look really good. You can understand the sensorites. And look, it's not the most exciting story. I think it gets better as it gets on and on. Mm. Uh, it, it gets more involved. The plot becomes more involved. You start to get the other humans involved. I, I actually quite enjoyed watching the sensorites. So a, a mixed bag and, and, you know, some some... Pleasant surprises there from stories I might not normally watch, and and I think I'm going to do another one of these. So a couple of people have already tweeted me some suggestions of, in inverted commas, bad six parters to watch. I'm going to I'm going to mm. watch a couple more before our next episode.
1: Okay, are you going to give us any clues? Uh, no, <laughs> <laughs> because okay. I haven't decided yet. <laughs> Fair enough. But if you have suggestions, do send us a tweet. Excellent. Send those tweets in. I've only watched one Classic Era story over the past month, and that was The Android Invasion. Oh, yes. And I haven't watched this since. I've really got no idea. I tried thinking about it today in the 90s, maybe, possibly even the 80s. It's certainly been a long, long time. Yet I've often thought of the Target novel cover and how mm-hmm. the Krauls looked really, really good on the cover, and that would remind me, oh, yeah, I think they kind of looked good in the episode too. And then I'd think of, oh, that classic moment where Sarah Jane falls over and her face falls off and, you know, it's a robot. Oh, wow. I think it probably suffers being part of season 13 when you think of what else is in there, you know, like Zygons, Planet of Evil, uh, Pyramids, Pyramids, Morbius, Morbius. (laughs) um, Seeds of Doom. Yeah. Even without the presence of those stories, it's probably not great, but it's entertaining enough. It's it's Terry Nation being Terry Nation, but without Daleks, you know, it's, it's, it's fine. I, I quite like it. And I like the location filming. I'm a sucker for location filming in the classic era, Dave. If, if, a, if a story is set, you know, somewhere out and they've filmed in some village or, you know, they've gone to Spain for two doctors or whatever it might be, I am a sucker for location filming.
0: Well, I've got to tell you, Rob, I've actually been to the village of East Hagborn.
1: Which is what covers for Divisham, yes?
0: That's right, yes.
1: Yes. Oh, have you tied yourself to that pillar in the middle of the town square?
0: I didn't tie myself to it, but I did walk up to it and and had a look at it. I walked over to the pub and then I went back into my car to get out of the rain and Actually, drove off to the Stones of Blood, as it happens.
1: <laughs> well, I know from the uh, the DVD extras that inside the pub is not like the pub on TV because the TV pub was a set, and they they filmed all of the interiors in, in in a set. Yeah, no,
0: no, it's a tiny, tiny little thing. The whole the whole place is absolutely tiny. It's nothing like you'd expect it to be. It's really compact.
1: Gosh, that's interesting to hear.
0: It is, but no, I agree. I really enjoy the Android Invasion. I'm not saying it's a classic. I'm not saying a couple of the plot twists are. Quite, quite conceited, but it's a lot of fun. It's lovely.
1: Yeah. The, the, the worst part is though, it's not a farewell for Harry. You know, we see Harry and he's a robot. Then we later see Harry and he's a good normal guy, and we don't go back to him at all to sort of say goodbye. <laughs> the story yeah, that just goes is true. on without him. <laughs> that is true. That's a shame. But uh, anyway, yeah, that's what I've been watching, and and I quite enjoyed it.
0: Uh, one other thing I just wanted to mention was in my mind during the course of the last month. One night I was just sitting there thinking. I wonder how some stories would have gone if the Doctor had never turned up. Mm-hmm. And there's three I want to highlight here and see what you think of these, Rob. So, Mask of Mandragora. The Doctor doesn't turn up. The Helix Energy doesn't go to Earth. And everybody's safe and nothing happens.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> the Seeds of Doom. The Doctor doesn't mm-hmm. turn up. Yeah. The first crinoid, Winlet either dies in the cold in Antarctica or gets blown up by Scobie. Yep. <laughs> the Doctor never finds the second seed pod, so there's no threat to England.
1: That, that would be true, yes.
0: And the city of death, the doctor never turns up. Romano never makes the time machine that scaroth wants. So Scaroth, because clearly Kerensky was never going to get the work finished. He wasn't good enough. Mm. So Scaroth just, his last life dies of old age in Paris in, I don't know, the 1980s or the 1990s. And he never fulfills his quest. There's ever any danger. And the Countess Scaleone doesn't get killed. But I'm interested in any other examples listeners can think of, of where had the doctor not turned up, nothing would have gone wrong.
1: Yes. Now, now people say that about certain episodes, do they? Now I'm trying to rack my brain on the spot to think of which ones they are. Maybe I won't say them if I think of them. Uh, we'll see if people can write in with them. But people often in their reviews say, you know, the Doctor was fairly meaningless to this. You know, it would have just gone on without him. In fact, I think we were talking about one of those in our last episode. It was one uh, well, of my well, uh, favourite shows.
0: Revelation of the Daleks is, I think, one of those very good examples where... That's the one. <laughs> the Doctor actually changes nothing in there because it's actually um, Tracus and the other guy that call the... Other Daleks in to come and get Davros mm-hmm. And Orsini's doing his thing And Kara's doing her thing um, Probably the only difference is that had the Doctor and Perry Not been there, the DJ wouldn't have got killed
1: Yeah, we could have had more Alexi Sale Gosh, that would have been a good thing
0: Big fat bastard <laughs> That's right <laughs> A-L-E-X-A-I-S-A-Y-L-E, Alexi Sale
1: That's it
0: <laughs> And welcome to Stuff
1: That's it, welcome to Stuff <laughs> <laughs> Hello John Got you new motor.
0: Hello John Got you new ah You go to a mess a carpet you don't spend a mess in a carpet. He lost his bottle in Barnsley. He lost his bottle in Barnsley. He's an a representative. He's an a <laughs> Shall we get on to our main topic then, Rob?
1: I think so, because I've been wanting to rip into this one all day when I was making my final notes. I think, oh, I can't wait to talk to Dave about this, because I'll, I'll say up front, I thought of a tonne of candidates and i cut back and cut back and even when i said to you i've got this many i even cut back from that many and when i looked at the list i thought hmm there are some obvious ones not on this list but i think our readers bring some of them up and i hope i'm hoping dave brings some of them up as well
0: yeah so i think what we're looking at is actors or actresses who have been cast in the story for their name or for the prestige or for the impact on the viewer either to get the viewer to come and watch like hey boys and girls we've got Kylie Minogue in an episode tonight come and watch our Christmas special or because you're going to tune in and watch and go oh my goodness that's that person I'm, I'm really excited that they're in here
1: that's right and before we go on you know because that that's a case of either stunt casting or what are we going to call the the good version celebrity, celebrity casting. casting yep mm-hmm What do we call it, Dave, when you can sell an episode to someone and say, oh, look, such and such an actor is in this, but at the time they filmed it, they weren't actually the famous actor that you're sort of selling. I think of, say, Sally Sparrow and Blink is played by Kari Mulligan. But at the time, Kari wasn't the Kari Mulligan of today, you know, married to the lead singer of Mumford and Sons and starred in The Great Gatsby and Suffragette and things like that. She was just Kari Mulligan. She'd she'd do anything on TV.
0: Yeah, Well, Andrew Garfield would be a wonderful example of that. I mean, he went on from being an obscure British actor to suddenly playing Spider-Man.
1: Exactly. Or Ian Glenn. He's been in about 50 episodes of Game of Thrones. Now as Sir Jorah Mormont. But at the time he filmed Doctor Who, where he was Father Octavian in the Time of Angels, he he hadn't stepped foot on the Game of Thrones set. But now you can say to someone, hey, watch Time of Angels. It's got Ian Glenn in it. You know, it's got Sir Jorah Mormont in it. Uh, and, and again, Andrew Garfield, as you say, or Kari Mulligan, whatever. What do so, we call that, Dave?
0: <laughs> I, I, maybe post hoc celebrity casting. <laughs>
1: Indeed. I haven't actually jotted any of those down, but th- I, I was thinking of that sort of scenario. I thought, oh, there's sort of a third scenario here too.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting. I mean, sometimes these work really well. Sometimes they don't, and I think when they don't, they, they don't in a big scale. Like, it really is, just stands out that they haven't. Something else I want to highlight as well, of course, is how you define celebrity. Because for us in Australia, it's not always the same as for those in the UK, Mm. now you know a classic example of this drawn from the McCoy era would of course have been Nicholas Parsons in The Curse of Fenric now for the British Nicholas Parsons was a household name for us he was at most a name that gets brought up in the goodies a lot yes you know we'd never seen Nicholas Parsons on TV
1: no no not not at all I guess by being fans We'd hear about it through Doctor Who magazine. We'd hear about the making a, a big thing over him. And, of course, we'd know him through the goodies, as you say. But, but otherwise, no, he wasn't a household name here.
0: And, and Frank Skinner, I think, is a good example from the modern series where I know listening to UK podcasts, they still two years ago waxed lyrically about isn't it wonderful that Frank Skinner was in our series and isn't he amazing and I wish you would do more. And, look, I've seen him in maybe a couple of episodes of Have I Got News For You?, But that's about the most I've seen him in, and I reckon that's more than most Australians have. For most Australians, and probably Americans as well, Frank Skinner was just a guy, you know?
1: Yeah, he's just this guy, you know? Um (laughs) I'm glad you got that reference. (laughs) Thank you. Um, Yeah, look, for for me, I knew a bit more about Frank Skinner because... I I used to like an alternate comedy duo called uh, Badil and Newman back in the early 90s, uh, Rob Newman and David Badil. And they split up and then later David Badil teamed up with Frank Skinner and they did TV shows, um, some of them sort of football-based, others just more comedy-based. So I sort of had a feel for Frank Skinner. But, yeah, the average Australian, no idea who he is.
0: Yeah, so there there are a few of the parameters as we explore. Should we maybe nominate an example of good and bad for each of us and then we can dive into what our listeners thought?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Who wants to go first?
0: Um, look, well, I'll, I'll make a start because I'm going to go with probably the first one that I really noticed in the new series, yeah, and that's Richard Wilson. Snap! Oh, there you go, <laughs> Doctor Constantine in the Empty Child.
1: It's at the top of my list.
0: There you go. I could remember vividly not knowing that he was in it, and suddenly, oh my God, there's Richard Wilson. That's, the, and, and because the series was still new, and I was still judging what this new Doctor who was about. Mm. I thought this actually worked really well because it did give it credibility. I really did feel well if Richard Wilson's in this, this is this is a real show. How did this happen? How did it start? And that bomb drop, there was just one victim, dead at first. His injuries were truly dreadful. By the following morning, every doctor and nurse who had treated him, who had touched him. Those exact same injuries. By the morning after that, every patient in the same ward, the exact same injuries within a week, the entire hospital.
1: Absolutely. I mean, when we talk about Richard Wilson, think of One Foot in the Grave. You know, he did about 10 years on that show as Victor Meldrew. So incredibly well known. However, not to be confused with Clive Swift, who I who I confused him with originally, who was Richard in Keeping Up Appearances um, yes. for about five years, around the same time they were making One Foot in the Grave. So they're sort of contemporaries of each other, and he was in Revelation of the Daleks. And when I first saw The Empty Child, I thought, oh, it's the guy from Revelation of the Daleks. Then I realised later, oh, no, they're two different guys. That's Richard <laughs> Wilson.
0: Oh, it's interesting that we both had that one. What, what was your second, Rob? In, in
1: the good category? In, in
0: the good category, yeah.
1: Okay, my second on the list is Derek Jacobi as Professor Yana in Utopia.
0: Snap! Oh. <laughs> Where did you get it? Hmm? I was found with it. What do you mean? An orphan in the storm. I was a naked child found on the coast of the Silver Devastation, abandoned with only this.
1: Have you ever opened it?
0: Why would I? It's
1: broken. How do you know it's broken if you've never opened it? Because, frankly, who didn't want more of that, you know? It was absolutely celebrity casting, but of the good kind.
0: It, it absolutely was, because not only did it bring a whole lot of gravitas to that episode, not only was it a genuine, like, wow, Derek Jacobi's in Doctor Who, like, wow. Yeah. But he was brilliant. He was absolutely brilliant, both as the professor and then, my God, as the master, he was even better.
1: Yeah, and as I say, who didn't want more of that? So I, I couldn't go past, you know, mentioning him and saying it's so definitely on the good side of the ledger.
0: And, and dare, dare I say from the start, maybe this is a theme that we might want to sort of see if it holds true as we go through, both Richard Wilson and Derek Jacobi are actors who've earned their celebrity the hard way by doing really difficult pieces consistently well over decades and decades. And and therefore they are good actors and they can mm. do well with material.
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. So, uh, <laughs> you know, we don't normally snap with each other on these things. No. <laughs> so I'm really surprised the that's first That's really two. uncanny.
0: Do you want to go first and give us just one example of a uh, one that didn't work out?
1: Yes. I... I, I'm going to be a bad Australian and say Kylie Minogue as Astrid in Voyage of the Damned. I'm falling!
0: Stop me falling! Okay, I was tempted, but I didn't, and I'll I'll, I'll hear your explanation, and then tell you why I didn't.
1: Let's be honest; she's only there because she's Kylie, and it's a Christmas episode, and it's just. <laughs> You know, the part could have been played by anyone. It's absolutely stunt casting. You know, it's it's RTD wrapping himself in JNT's Hawaiian shirt and just saying, Kylie, come on down. It's horrible.
0: And I think you also left off the real reason there, which is just that Russell T Davies wanted to meet her.
1: <laughs> is that right?
0: I, I suspect. So either, either meet her or work with her if he would met her before. I think it was just a, a personal, you know what? I'm the showrunner now. I can cast whoever I want. I want to work with Kylie. Yeah. Uh, I Look, I was very tempted. I didn't put her on the list in the end, though, because I didn't think she actually was awful. I thought she was perfunctory, but not awful. And I thought, had it been a normal season episode, I probably would have, but it was just okay enough to get away with it in a Christmas special.
1: Mm.
0: Although, I have to say, the biggest celebrity for me in that, well, actually, I wouldn't, I would, I wouldn't even have a third, you've got Jeffrey Palmer... Like yeah. Jeffrey Palmer. Yeah. And you've got Russell Toby,
1: Yeah, true. Very um,
0: true. And I, I was probably more interested to see those than I was to see Kylie. But look, yeah, I, I'm not going to say it's a wrong call, Rob. But I was perhaps just more generous than
1: you. <laughs> well, you know, we talk about how people are perceived in different countries. And I think the UK has this crazy fascination with Kylie that Australians just maybe don't share. She has fans here, of course. But the UK just seems so fascinated by her, whereas we're, we're not.
0: Oh, yeah, every episode of Men Behaving Badly would usually end with them sitting on the couch drinking lager and talking about Kylie.
1: (laughs) She's just not that interesting, guys, trust us.
0: (laughs) But, yeah, you are right. That is a very interesting cultural difference.
1: Mm. And what did you have for a bad, Dave?
0: I'm going to be really obvious and just go for the first one that came into my head when we were doing this, and that's Maisie Williams as a shielder in The Girl Who Died. Sergeant, scientist... Venter composer, it's a fantastic CV. You
1: should try my journals. I read them myself now and then. Drink pomace wine,
0: have a little me time. You don't seem the nostalgic type. It's not nostalgia. It's curiosity.
1: This is one of the ones I was hoping you'd bring up because she's not on my list, but absolutely. <laughs> I just thought, no, 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 I don't want her in the show. And there she was. And then she kept coming back.
0: The problem for me is it's twofold. Firstly, because I haven't really watched the Game of Thrones, I've tried, I've just never gone into it. It wasn't a celebrity for me. It wasn't like, oh, well, wow, they've got Maisie Williams. It was just Look, everyone's excited about this casting. I get it's a celebrity, but pff, I don't care who she is. And then, frankly, she was terrible. Uh, you know, as, as our friend Doc Hume from the Diddly Dumb podcast said, look, yes, she did play three different characters there. Um, Oak Mahogany and Teak.
1: <laughs> Spot on, Doc.
0: <laughs> yeah, so that was one that for me, I, I thought it was a very deliberate attempt to try and uh, get into the Game of Thrones market and to yeah. and to and to walk in their shadow. It was it was obviously done for that reason, I think, and it just failed.
1: Yeah, and I think the average Game of Thrones fan watching those three stories would just be like, "What the hell's happening here? What, what's she doing? Why is she like this?" Ugh. And I don't think they would have liked it anyway. So it just seems a bit pointless.
0: If you're using a celebrity casting to get their fans in, you've got to give their fans something to make them to make it worth their while. Mm. And I don't think those episodes did.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. Look, shall we kick off with um an email first before we get into all the tweets we got? Yeah, absolutely. Who's it from? This is from Friend of the Show and sometimes host, Mike Solko. Oh, good day, Mike. Yeah, good day, Mike. He says, Hello, my friends. As it would be all too easy to come up with a laundry list, I figure it easiest to list off one guess who worked well and one who was dreadful from each New Who era. From the RTD era, Mike says the poor is Simon Pegg in the long game. What a waste of a cult celebrity to play an utterly generic villain. It was a boring character in a dreadful story. Your thoughts, Dave?
0: I see what Mike is saying. I think that it worked only because Pegg Elevated a boring character to being at least interesting, but I agree they could have done so much more with someone like Simon Pegg.
1: Yeah, I remember thinking it was quite a waste because I, I adored him and stuff like Spaced, and I thought he's in Doctor Who, fantastic, and I, I just hated the story and hated his character and just thought, yeah, that's a waste. Uh, a great example from the RTD era, Catherine Tate. Mike says, I was sceptical during the lead-up to The Runaway Bride as it turned out she put in a fun performance that led to her being brought back as the best companion of those first four years.
0: I'm going to disagree with you, Mike. Ooh. I had no idea before she was cast who Catherine Tate was. So for me, she was just this loud, overacting person with an annoying accent. Mm. And I never quite got over that first impression. She She did slowly grow on me and... Season four, especially, has is, is really grown to me quite well. But there's a brashness to her performance that I believe is common to all her performances. Certainly when she turned up in uh, the last couple of seasons of The Office, she was very similar. There's a brashness that just never quite sits well for me. And I think if you know her and love her, you will enjoy seeing more of her in Doctor Who. I think that if you're not a fan of hers, it is quite jarring. I think it, it really is a, a Vegemite choice, that one.
1: Yeah, I've got to say again, I knew of her because I, I follow a lot of UK comedy, so I knew who she was, and I wasn't too impressed with her in The Runaway Bride, but I did really like her when she came back as a full-time companion. So I'm, I'm sort of with you there and disagreeing with Mike, but I, I do like her when she comes back. So
0: mm. fair enough.
1: Uh, Mike goes on to say, during the Moffat era, the poor does Cyberbrig count? <laughs> I would actually go with Maisie Williams. While her first episode was strong, I found Lady Me to be smug and obnoxious. So there's a snap for you, Dave.
0: It is, although I think he's being a little bit too generous saying that she was playing smug and obnoxious. That's um, us give her <laughs> far too much credit, I think.
1: <laughs> the great from the Moff era, according to Mike, is Bill Nighy in Vincent and the Doctor, a small poignant role that was played beautifully. Snap. Really? Cool.
0: Yeah, this was actually number one on my list Um, not in terms of chronology but in terms of intensity more than any other piece of celebrity casting in new Doctor Who when suddenly he turned around and there was Bill Nye bloody Bill Nye was in Doctor Who I was just entranced I just thought this is so wonderful to have this guy in there and he it's only a small part but I agree with Mike it was just so lovely and it was so perfect and In in what remains my favourite episode of the Matt Smith era, I just think that was the... You know, it it, it was what John Cleese in City of Death was. To me, Van Gogh is the finest painter of the world. Certainly the most popular, great painter of all time. The most beloved. His command of colour, the most magnificent. He transformed the pain of his tormented life into ecstatic beauty. Pain is easy to portray, but to use your passion and pain to portray the ecstasy and joy and magnificence of our world, no one had ever done it before. Perhaps no one ever will again. To my mind, that strange, wild man who roamed the fields of Provence was not only the
1: world's greatest artist, but also one of the greatest men who ever lived. Well said, uh, Mike. Goes on to say, looking forward to hearing what others think. And should this message be in time, vote yes.
0: Uh, well, thank you, Mike. Your message. The message is in time. There is still time if you're in Australia to vote yes in the same-sex marriage survey.
1: And you're on the roll, of course.
0: Uh, yeah, well, that's that's right. Look, <laughs> um, in in all seriousness, uh, if you are voting yes and you haven't posted your ballot yet, I absolutely encourage you to do so. I've been spending. A lot of my time over the last three or four weeks working on this campaign, and uh, I think a lot of Doctor Who fans, and certainly all of the Australian podcasts, are very much in the yes camp on this one, Rob.
1: Absolutely. I was happy to take a photo of my ballot, Uh, of course not including the barcode, because that would be bad, but just showing the box ticked yes. Very happy to be supporting uh, the cause, and uh, hopefully it gets up.
0: Yeah, so thank you for support. It's good to know that this campaign's reached all the way to California.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's very cool. Let's move on with uh, what people have tweeted at us. We can rattle through these because we've got quite a few here. Michael Sealy at MP Sealy says, Frank Skinner in that train one, him, an actor? Leave it out. Mm, sounds like Michael doesn't particularly like Frank Skinner.
0: Yeah. It would be interesting to know what his experience of Frank Skinner was before Doctor Who, whether he was coming in with those impressions of Frank Skinner beforehand. It sounds like he was. And, and I understand that if you're familiar with someone as basically being a comedian, a presenter, that sort of thing, it is sometimes very hard to take them seriously in a dramatic role. And that's the problem a lot of people had with Beryl Reid. It wasn't that coming to her cold, you couldn't say that was a good performance. It's You just can't ever get out of your head. That's Beryl Reid.
1: Yeah, true. Very true.
0: So the next one we have is from David Clark, tweeting, at David Clark with me, one four. He says, Lee Evans was brilliant. Malcolm Taylor in Planet of the Dead. So that was, of course, the Unit Scientific Advisor. That's a really interesting one, and I think this is one of those controversial Beryl Reed ones. Mm. Some people love him, and clearly David Clark did, and, that, and that's that's interesting. For me, I could never get out of my mind that this was the guy from There's Something About Mary.
1: Is that right? <laughs> yeah.
0: Like his, his performance in There's Something About Mary was just so brilliant but so, um, you know, burning deep into the mind that I actually could never take that away and watch him seriously, which is really unfortunate for the actor. Like, it really is what typecasting is about. Yeah. But I, I, couldn't, I, I, I couldn't make it work. I wanted to, but yeah, he, his, his past work was just so strong for me. How, how did you finally, Evans?
1: Look, I, I didn't really have much background on him, so to me, he could have just been, you know, a, a, an amusing actor with a Welsh accent sort of thing. You know, so I, I just really like that scene where it's like, oh, I'm talking to the doctor, you know, and, you know, tenet sort of rolling his eyes. Yes, yes, it's me. You know, it was, it was just a funny sort of scene that, you know, the, the former mm. unit scientific advisor was talking to the current one who'd read all his files and stuff and was obviously in awe of him. I just thought that was really fun.
0: Yeah, and this is a, an example of where the actor hasn't given a bad performance. It's just the baggage they've brought in the audience's mind has undermined that performance and they can't, they can't get away from that. You know, I'm not. I'm not knocking Lee Evans on this occasion. I'm just saying the baggage was too big for me.
1: Yeah, and look, David Lancaster, who tweets at Duvid, this is a good case in point. He has said Lee Evans' Planet of the Dead and Roger Lloyd Pack Rise of the Cybermen, dire. So, so there's someone who doesn't like Lee
0: Evans. And it's it's actually a snap from me as well. I had Roger Lloyd Pack on my list of of big mistakes. Oh, I really? Thought, I think he's entirely unsuited to that role. And frankly, I don't think he knows what he's doing in that role.
1: Still, it's not the only country in the world. There's always new Germany. This is the homeland, my birthplace. You may leave.
0: I think it's actually a poor performance Mm. from a celebrity who can give very good performances. I'm not a Roger Lloyd Pack hater. I thought he was perfect in The Vicar of Dibley, for example. Yeah. But I just thought he was totally out of tone and sync with that story and didn't give a performance that matched anything going on around him at all.
1: Yeah, well, I wasn't getting along well with that story anyway, like parallel universe Cyberman invented by this guy. Oh, no, 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 this isn't right at all.
0: Oh, it was a very, it wasn't an awful story, but no, I didn't enjoy that story much as well. It had a lot of flaws.
1: And then people saying, this is based on spare parts. I'm saying it bloody well is not. You know, you might have the guy's name in the credits saying it's based on spare parts, but it is nothing like spare parts. Don't besmirch its name.
0: Yeah, so again, I think that, I think Roger Lloyd-Pack is definitely an example for me of poor casting, poor celebrity stunt casting, I have to really say that, and clearly David Lancaster agrees with us.
1: Hmm. Now, David Lancaster also sent in one on behalf of his dad, and he said, my dad says Anne Whittacombe when she was backing Harold Saxon. Now, I had to do some research on this, Dave, because I knew Anne Whittacombe was a um, UK politician. She was. But apparently in 2008, there was some sort of mock commercial where she was endorsing Harold Saxon for Prime Minister. It must have been some kind of jokey thing. Maybe it was an online thing. I, I tried to find... I found a an image of it, but I couldn't find the actual video.
0: There's a small segment of it, I think, in the episode itself
1: is that right i must have forgotten that
0: i, th- I think so i've certainly seen that. uh no Anne widdekin was a junior minister during the john major government she became a senior frontbencher when they were in opposition famously described the future leader of the party michael howard as having something of the night about him which was a wonderful line that really finished his career in, ma- <laughs> in many ways even you know, he, he went on for many years but he never got away from that that
1: it was kind of a doesn't-she-look-tired doesn't moment, perhaps.
0: It, yeah, it, it was a bit, it was a bit. Um, Anne Whittacombe never really amounted to much. I think she was um, all hat and no cowboy, frankly. Right. <laughs> so another nomination we have here from Jeff Waddle, tweeting at Jeff Waddle 68 He's going to nominate James Corden. Do you reckon this will be for good or bad, Rob?
1: Well, I'm going to say snap here, but I'm, I'm curious to know whether it's good or bad, because I know what side I fall on.
0: Well, Jeff has said about James Corden, and I'm quoting here, I'm reading this off the the screen, it is not my words, as entertaining as chlamydia and just as irritating, so annoying and he came back like chlamydia. What the hell? (laughs) So I think that's a a thumbs down from Jeff on James Corden.
1: Yeah, look, it it is from Jeff, but Jeff, uh, and I know Jeff, we're mates and we talk on Facebook all the time, but... I thought he was pretty good casting. You know, he was, he'd was he been huge in Gavin and Stacey, so, you know, he was well-known. He's even huger now, so it's an example of the uh, the Kari Mulligan effect and the uh, Andrew Garfield effect. You can point to these episodes and say, hey, look, it's James Corden in Doctor Who. But I thought he was really good because whatever you think of the stories or even what whatever you think of Craig, the character he's playing, I think Corden nails him. Corden plays what that kind of person is like. And for that reason, I thought he did a really good job.
0: You can have this back and all. What have I done? For a start, talking to a cat. Lots of people talk to cats. And Everybody loves you, and you're better at football than me, and my job, and now Sophie's all, ooh, monkeys, monkeys, and then there's that. It's off. A statement on modern society. Ooh, ain't modern society awful. I really liked him in The Lodger. I thought that he was perfectly suited for that character in The Lodger, I thought he struggled with the material in closing time. Now whether that's a case of he put in a poor performance or the script was quite poor and he couldn't elevate it, I'm not sure. But I definitely thought that his return appearance was much weaker than his first one.
1: Okay. Well that's fair. Thank you, Jeff, for that.
0: But but sorry, can I also add though, if you were somebody who was a casual television watcher and you thought, Oh, James Corden is in this episode of Doctor Who, I might check this out that probably wasn't a bad one for you to check out. If you were a Gavin and Stacey fan, for example, and then watch The Lodger, okay, it's not the same, but you might there might be enough similarity or enough tonal similarity to make a casual viewer go, "Oh, this is this is worth watching."
1: Yeah, bonkers guy turns up in his life, does cool things, annoys him greatly. You know, it's, it's very funny. Mm. All right. Moving on, this, this is a fun one because it's a couple of tweets from Rob Kelly. G'day, Rob. And uh, you actually joined in with these tweets, Dave, so uh, I'll, I'll sort of play both of you here. Rob Kelly says, There are many examples of stunt casting in the new series, although stunt implies and has a negative connotation, but they weren't all bad. Catherine Tate is casting that worked, but Sir Ian McKellen's casting as the Great Intelligence's voice was pure stunt. You jump in, Dave, and say, Wait, Ian McKellen played the Great Intelligence? Rob Kelly says, you see what I mean? Why cast someone of that calibre if no one knows they're in it? It's stunt casting that no one knows about. Odd.
0: Yeah, that's a really odd one. I genuinely had no idea that Ian McKellen had played the great intelligence in Doctor Who. I had no idea.
1: I, When he brought this up, I remembered that it had happened and that I had read that it was him. But I had completely forgotten about it, and if it had come up in pub trivia or if someone had mentioned Ian McKellen and wouldn't he be good in Doctor Who, I probably would have been saying, yeah, yeah, it would be great to see him in Doctor Who one day. I, I would not have remembered at all until Rob reminded us here.
0: And, you yeah, know, let's be honest here. Ian McKellen would be a contender for the biggest name ever in Doctor Who. Uh, Bill Nye, maybe. Derek Jacobi, maybe. But I think Ian McKellen would have them both covered.
1: I'd say so. Oh, Oh, hang on. We're forgetting someone. John Hurt. Yeah, okay. He's Maybe a tie. The, uh,
0: he's the only one that would, would I think, have a fair fight against Ian McKellen for the biggest name in Doctor Who. And as as Rob said, Rob's absolutely right. I don't know how many people noticed, but I didn't. Mm. So you've got your your biggest name and no one's noticed.
1: Yeah, or remembered in my case. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Interesting one.
0: So the final tweet that we have is from John Arnold at the underscore arm. Well, to be blatantly obvious with Parallel's Michelle Collins as a hard-bitten spaceship captain. So Michelle Collins, of course, was Captain McDonnell in 42. Um, apparently she also did the voice of Winnie Tyler in the big Finnish story, Damaged Goods. So yeah, here John's doing a direct parallel between Michelle and Beryl Reed. Who do you think did it
1: better? This, for me, is another one where Michelle Collins, no idea who she is. She's just someone playing the captain. And she doesn't stand out to me as much as Beryl Reed because she's younger. And, you know, Beryl Reed always stood out, even though I didn't know her either, because it's like, oh, my God, this old woman flying the spaceship, what's going on? But here, I was like, ah, oh, this Captain Kath McDonald, yeah, I, I believe in her. Yeah, why not? It just it didn't faze me at all, because I just didn't know who Michelle was.
0: Yeah, I'm very much in the same boat. I thought she gave a perfectly decent performance. I must admit, I haven't watched 42 probably in six or seven years. Mm. Um, I've certainly watched Earthshock more recently. But yeah, interesting nomination and an interesting parallel. So we've had some interesting thoughts there, Rob. Mm. Shall we look at some of the ones that we had on our list that didn't get nominated?
1: Definitely. Do you want to do stunt casting or um, celebrity casting?
0: Uh, well, let's let's do the stunt and then end on the good. Okay. I've only got one more that hasn't been nominated by yourself or a listener, mm-hmm. and that's Bill Bailey.
1: Oh, I hadn't even thought of him. Yeah, yes. Yeah, he
0: was Droxel in The Doctor, The Widow, and The Wardrobe. Now, never mind that episode was terrible. He was terrible. Now, Bill Bailey, I think he's one of the best comedians, performers, whatever you want to call him, he's wonderfully entertaining, very talented guy. I've seen him play dramatic roles. He was uh, Maxie's dad in Skins, for example. Mm But He was terrible at this. It it literally felt like they'd got him for an afternoon, put a costume on him, gave him a silly prop, said, walk across the screen saying a line and then piss off. Yeah. Because that's the performance he gave. He, He walked across the stage mumbling a line that I'm sure he just read and then pissed off. It was woeful.
1: Yeah, I got kind of excited because I think he mentioned he was from Andrezzani Major, and I was like, "Oh, he's from Andrezzani Major." But apart from that, yeah, it was pretty bad.
0: It was pretty bad. So yeah, that's that's probably one of my worst because he can do so much better, and I'm I'm sure that it's in many ways not his fault. I'm sure that it was almost pretty much as I've just guessed it was.
1: Mm. I've got a few more uh, stunt casting examples. Um, this this next one, particularly in a week where you've already had an aneurysm, I'm kind of scared to say it. Go on. Anthony Head is the headmaster in School Reunion. (laughs) He's on my good list. Oh, no. It's a snap, but a reverse snap. It's a reverse (laughs) snap. (laughs) Why is he on your bad list? Because, okay, we're talking about Waste. He's a great actor, and, you know, he's playing against type when you think of him as Giles and Buffy and all of that, but I didn't think he got to do much. I thought he was just there to stand around and sneer a bit, and you know, have his, his pretties flying around and all of that nonsense. I I I just thought, oh no, I, we could have got so much more from him. Anthony Head could be the master, for example.
0: No, look, I I think that I think we well, so so let's let's go back for a moment. We both agree that it was a big deal he was in the show, yeah.
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: Yeah, so on that level it works. I think of his performance as being. One where it needs somebody of his ability and his name, because you've got the story where Liz Slayton comes back. Okay, and so your your villain needs to be big, and I think he was big, and he was the villain that made that episode. And when I think of him in that episode, I think of the scene where he and Tennant confront each other. I think it's one of Tennant's best performances as the Doctor, is the two of them circle each other and just eye off each other and everything. I think it's a wonderful performance. And I think because he's such a big name and such a capable actor, it was needed and it was it was justified.
1: Okay, I can I can cop that. Uh, I think this was an interesting one though. Reverse snap, first yeah. time. Yeah. Okay. Uh,
0: any any other bad ones you've got or I stunts? Do. Go on.
1: I do more stunt casting. Kate Stewart, as played by Gemma Redgrave in multiple episodes. I think it's just a case if we've got one of the Redgraves in Doctor Who, it's Gemma Redgrave. But she's just got worse and worse and worse each time she's appeared. It's really quite you you could graph it as like just this downhill slope of her performances. It's really bizarre.
0: If it had just been her one debut episode and that was all she did, would she have made your list?
1: She may have made the celebrity casting list. Yeah, not right. The stunt casting list.
0: Yeah, I can I can see where you're coming from there. That's yeah, okay. Mm. I'm with you on that.
1: All right, and just quickly some runners up uh Seb as played by Chris Addison in Death in Heaven and Dark Water it was just to me a blatant let's get some of Capaldi's thick of it actors oh. into the show you know and he's doing permission to squee Ah, oh, permission to get mm. anyway following oh, on from that no 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 re-
0: no that is a very good one the only reason he wasn't on my list is I'd erased Death in Heaven from my mind <laughs> but had I not he would absolutely have been on my list yeah that was bad
1: Right, and following on from that, Rebecca Front, another thick of it mainstay, popped up in the Zygon invasion as Colonel Walsh, and she just seemed awfully cast, just did some stupid things, let all the troops get captured and killed, it was just like, yeah, she's there because she was the minister in the thick of it, and now her and Capaldi are on screen again, yeah, I I get it, I get it, just, no, 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 (laughs) no.
0: I agree with you. The only thing I'll say is I wasn't disappointed because I didn't really rate her performance in the thick of it either.
1: <laughs> you like the the first season with the other minister?
0: Uh, I do. Well, let's face it, you're not watching that show for the ministers, are you?
1: Well, no. <laughs> no that's true. You're watching it to see when Capaldi swears next.
0: Well, I, was, I was going to say I watch it to see how similar to my job it is. But <laughs> <laughs> oh, good one. What's what's one, what's one of your celebrity list?
1: On my celebrity list, okay, so done Richard Wilson, done Derek Jacoby. Okay, this could be a snap. I'm hoping it is, actually. Michael Gambon as Kazrin Sardik in A Christmas Carol.
0: Uh, it's not, but I'm not going to disagree with you.
1: Just fantastic. I mean, it's a great episode in general, but the way he plays uh, Kazrin Sardik, just, just fantastic.
0: I'll disagree with you there, though. I think oh. that it is an ordinary episode that is elevated to greatness because of Gambon.
1: Is that right?
0: Yeah, I don't think the episode's all that special. In fact, I think it's actually a little bit contrived. It works because Gambon makes it work.
1: Okay, so you you like the the more serious scenes where they're back in the house with him and he's looking at the old pictures and stuff like that more so than when they're flitting around and the Doctor's marrying Marilyn Monroe and things like this?
0: Oh, absolutely, but I also don't think those
1: scenes would have worked
0: with a lesser actor.
1: Okay, that's very fair.
0: So I've only got one more now that we've had Jacoby, Wilson, Nye and Stuart Head. I'm going to mention Thomas Sangster.
1: I thought you might.
0: Who was Tim Latimer in Human Nature.
1: Yeah, now he's popped up in a lot of things for someone so young.
0: He was the young boy in Love Actually. He was in a number of other movies as a kid actor. Uh, He's been in Game of Thrones, I believe. Uh, One of my favourite roles that he was in was he played the young Paul McCartney in the movie about John Lennon's young life uh, called uh, Nowhere Boy. And he was wonderful in that. He's now in the Maze Runner films... He was in The Force Awakens for about eight seconds,
1: <laughs> and he still looks about—he still looks about fourteen years old, even though he's now thirty-eight.
0: Yeah, look, he does, but he's—he's he's quite a, for, for, for for a young for a young actor. He's very, very well known, and certainly he's one of those child actors most people would know. I think if you're going to have an episode that really hinges around the performance of your lead child actor, which human nature does, if you can get the kid from Love Actually. Not only is it, you know, a great moment of, wow, it's the kid from Love Actually, Sangster gives a really good performance. And, you know, Human Nature remains, after 10 seasons, my favourite episode of New Doctor Who. Mm. And part of that is off the back of his performance as the lead when he was still, you know, quite
1: young. Do you know the only bit of that episode that makes me wince is when they're in the trenches of World War I at the end and he still looks really, 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 really young? And maybe that's to make the point, that you know, some boys marched off to war young, but he just looks a bit, a wee bit too young. It just doesn't look quite right.
0: Yeah, I, I get what they're going for that that thing about you know the youth and the helmets are too big and the jackets are too big and and they are boys. But you're right, it it just grated a little bit. It's not as bad as the epilogue to the last Harry Potter film that had Harry's girlfriend <laughs> in the Julia Gillard wig and everything. That was terrible. Um, oh
1: yeah, but
0: yeah, that that didn't quite work. What have we missed from your list, Rob?
1: Okay, another one I have here is David Walliams as Gibbous in the God Complex.
0: Don't you see? You will leave it right here. What do you suggest?
1: <sighs> Look, whatever it is out there,
0: it's obviously chosen Howard as his next course. Now, and tragic though that is, this is no time for sentiment. I'm saying if it were to
1: bind him, it may be satisfied and let the rest of us go. Now, this to me is Absolutely celebrity casting. I mean, David Walliams, you know, hot as hell at the time for Little Britain. And they put him in, you know, funny makeup and he's in this episode. I thought it could be a complete disaster. And I actually really liked him in it. You know, just the the cowardly sort of character he played there. I thought he did a really, really good job. So I couldn't call it stunt casting. Definitely celebrity casting for me.
0: Okay. I can't really comment. I I don't remember that episode. I'm sorry.
1: Oh no, it's one of my favourite Matt Smith episodes uh,
0: No, that, that that's from the period when I'd given up on Doctor Who And I I did go back and watch them all sort of one a month for a while to get through the season But I, I, I'd given up on Doctor Who at that stage, I'm sorry
1: Wow, okay, and now a couple of quick runners up uh, First of all, Diana Rigg as Mrs Gillyflower in The Crimson Horror
0: yeah i thought you might mention her
1: mm, i mean doesn't get much bigger than dame diana rigg
0: no no it, d- it definitely doesn't i'm a big fan of her i thought she did give a good performance in there i must admit there's a, another victorian senator who i work with who looks very much like diana rigg and i have to resist the temptation every time i see her walking around parliament not to say mrs peel we're needed
1: <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome <laughs> Now we mentioned uh, Sir John Hurt earlier, and I'm not going to choose him here, but I am going to choose another doctor. I'm going to say Tom Baker is the caretaker in Day of the Doctor.
0: Oh, deep cuts there, Rob. Deep cuts.
1: Why, Dave? Why?
0: Well, just I didn't. It wouldn't even have occurred to me to say Tom Baker, but I think you've just won the game.
1: Yes.
0: <laughs> yeah. No. That's a really. That's a really interesting call. And look, you're absolutely right. He was cast for the only reason that he was Tom Baker, to make us all go, wow, that's Tom Baker on screen. And we all shed a tear and said, wow, that's Tom Baker on screen.
1: Yeah, so definitely celebrity casting and not stunt casting.
0: Definitely. I'm glad we ended on that note. That's a good call. Hmm, thank
1: you. Yeah, it, it came to me today. I mean, we've been thinking about this for a few weeks now. It hadn't occurred to me. And then just when I was making the list today, I thought, oh, hang on, I wonder if Dave's got this.
0: No, that was good. I like that. So any any final thoughts to wrap up this segment, Rob?
1: Yeah, look, I'm, I'm just briefly looking at my list, and there seems to be an awful lot of stunt casting or celebrity casting during the uh, RTD era. You know, that's not to say there isn't during the Moffat era as well, but I'm just wondering whether of the two guys, RTD isn't a bit more JNT, perhaps.
0: Yeah, I think that is the case, although both producers have certainly done it, but I think... Russell T Davies reveled in it a lot more. One thing that I've taken out of it, just looking over our list and our discussion, is it's not a perfect fit, but where we've talked about them being celebrity casting, they tend to be people with a long body of work who are recognised for for a great deal of stuff. The stunt casting tends to be, and you used the phrase earlier, someone who's really hot in that moment, Mm. but maybe doesn't have the, the wherewithal or the, dare I say, gravitas, to back it all up
1: yeah yeah no that's a good point it's 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 a very interesting thing i think we could dig into a a a bit more perhaps in the future if our listeners have got any thoughts on this as a whole not so much your picks but as as a concept why not write in and let us know your thoughts as well
0: yeah and overall is is new who as guilty of it as classic who is it better or worse i
1: i think it's worse because I don't think it was much of a thing in Classic Who until the J&T era. There obviously were guest actors, of course there were, but not to the degree or the celebrity, I think, that j and was pulling in.
0: And I think it's partly because modern filming techniques, both transport the way they can film little bits here and there, and you know contracts can be much more varied, does allow for a bigger name just to come in and do a couple of scenes, or just do a day which really there wasn't the flexibility to do that so much back in the day.
1: Oh, e- exactly right. And and I'm thinking because <laughs> I've been listening to an episode of uh, the complete menagerie <laughs> I like it. Where they're talking about the Sylvester McCoy era, and they mentioned Dolores Gray, who was roped into Silver Nemesis because J and T wanted Dolores Gray in Silver Nemesis. And to this day, like the guys on Complete Menagerie, I have no idea who Dolores Gray is or why she's famous. The
0: only reason I know who she is is because I've read making of stuff about Silver Nemesis.
1: Oh, okay. Who is she, Dave?
0: Oh, she was she was a big big luminaire of Broadway and the US old style oh, screen okay. or something. Yeah, she, she was a big sort of show tunes kind of actress, you know, from the golden era more than the modern era. I think she'd well past her, her uh, peak of her celebrity by 1988.
1: Right. I've just pulled up the TARDIS data core while we're talking, and it says Dolores Gray played Mrs. Remington in the Doctor Who television story Silver Nemesis. Yes, we know this. This was her last televised role. <laughs> well, there you go. That says a lot about JNT's picks right there, I think. I think so. Okay. Shall we put a lid on that?
0: I think so. I think, I think we've covered that thoroughly
1: good because we've got some uh, listener email, which we always like to get. The first is from Christopher Bryant, who tweets at Chap With Wings, and he's writing to us about our Buffy episode, which we haven't really mentioned in, in this episode so far. I think we'll, we'll have to after this. He says, That was a really good episode about Buffy. Every time I thought you were going to miss out one of the characters or episodes that I loved, you instantly went and mentioned it. I only discovered the series about six years ago, but you reminded me of many things I loved about it. My only gripe would be that you were quite damning of post series five some of my very favorite bits come from series six and seven and next time you're doing my second favorite genre show of all time can't wait
0: oh thank you that's really nice feedback there from our christopher bryant look i will agree with him that there are some very good and wonderful bits from season six and seven i just don't think that overall they worked
1: Okay, fair enough, and, and to people listening who don't know what we're talking about, we've popped out a Buffy episode, a one-off where we talk about all things Buffy, why Doctor Who fans might like it, what some good episodes are to watch, and it's, it's really quite fun. If you haven't listened to it, look it up on the feed.
0: Yeah, that's right, and the show that Christopher was mentioning there is the next one we're going to do in a bit over a month from now is Babylon 5.
1: I can't wait to do that one myself. I'm
0: looking forward to that as well, I must admit. Mm. We've had another email from Mike Solko, and he's also referencing our Buffy episode, so thank you for that, Mike.
1: It's been a popular episode, you know, from what I've seen of the uh, downloads so far. It's It's been downloaded almost as much as our Doctor Who episodes, which is quite encouraging.
0: Oh, that's nice to know. So Mike says, What a fun trip down memory lane. I was cooking lunch when the clip of Close Your Eyes started, and I just had to stop for a moment. That one still packs a punch. I started watching Midway Through Season 5 rather on accident, Buffy was a terrible movie my little sister liked. Surely not worthy of my time. Tara was a favourite character as I related to being the shy outsider. A few random thoughts. Favourite episode? Amends. Help is the runner-up. They're both really good picks, Mike. I totally get where you're coming from there. Favourite villain? Drusilla. Yeah. Yeah. See where you're <laughs> going with that one. Least favourite story? Once more with feeling. And he writes here, because Xander mucked about and people got killed. And he's right. That entire episode is about Xander mucking up, people get killed, and at the end they go, oh, that was funny, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, but they have a nice sing during it. Yeah, that's all right.
0: And ideal first episode, Go Fish. Funny, nails drama as a monster concept, has enough threads to imply a larger story. Interesting that I picked that as my guilty pleasure. You did. And Mike's picked it as his his go-to. So Go Fish, maybe one to check out there.
1: Gosh, we, we, we're going all geeky on Buffy now, but people, if, if you haven't watched Buffy and you're ever curious about it, do listen to that episode. That's why we've made it.
0: You've got another email for us, Rob.
1: I do. This is from Ezra Penny, or Ez Penn, who writes uh, to us quite often, and we recently tweeted a cake He had made a Cyberman cake. We did, yes. Yeah, look that up on our Twitter feed. It was very cool. Um, Hi there, Rob and Dave. I missed the boat to get an email in the segment in the last monthly episode, but this is slightly different. I'm usually an optimist when it comes to reviewing episodes of Doctor Who. And I like most episodes that are thrown at me, including ones that are despised by most people in fandom. When I first watched Love and Monsters, I just accepted that it was a crap episode that everyone hated. This was in 2015, and that was that. But when I went to re-watch it, I saw that although it's still a bit crap, it's actually okay. It was made to be cheesy, and that's why I liked it. Also, the Scooby-Doo chase scene is hilarious. Another two episodes that I like are Sleep No More and Hell Bent. I still hate how they brought Clara back with no universe-shattering effects and the hybrid was never explained, but everything that happened in the first half was pure epic. With Sleep No More, I really can't see why people dislike it. The point-of-view camera got a little grating, but other than that, it's fine and finally Extremus fandom dislikes this episode for seemingly no reason whereas i love the hell out of it the plot was different the direction was great and the mystery interesting the framing device was well executed and hidden and worked as a standalone episode as well as the opening to the most disappointing three-parter ever and yes i still hate lie of the land from ezra penny
0: thank you ezra that was a really interesting email i'm not going to go through and say you know my views on every one of those episodes i agree with you on some of your points I, i disagree on others and that that's fine but yeah it is interesting how your view of an episode can change over time and one example i will pick out of that is love and monsters i think that when you're watching love and monsters as the doctor who episode on that moment and the whole future of the show hinges on this episode i think it was hard to love when it's just an episode that was shown a number of years ago and you can Pull it off the shelf and just watch it without any consequence. Yeah, there's a lot to love in there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and again, I won't go through all the points either. But uh, in terms of extremists, I'm right there with you. I actually liked extremists the first time around.
0: Yeah, fair enough. Now, Rob, before we go, just a little bit of a side topic because we're we're entering that magical time of the year when
1: it's the most wonderful time. <laughs> oh, sorry, <laughs> we're not we've, quite there yet.
0: We've just finished the summer blockbuster season. In the cinema, we haven't got to Oscar bait season in the cinema, but we're in television launch season yes. when all of the US networks roll out their brand new shows. And so I've got a list of ones that I'm going to be, be checking out. Now, one I did want to mention, though, is The Orville, which is now two episodes in at the time of broadcast. Mm-hmm. This is basically Seth MacFarlane does Star Trek.
1: Yes, and would you say Star Trek The Next Generation specifically? or
0: uh, It's... A cross between that and movie Star Trek.
1: Okay.
0: I will say that there's absolutely no doubt that everyone making this show loves Star Trek. The way that it's been written, the way that it's been shot particularly, is just a love letter to Trek. The problem I have here is that it reminds me of what happened when Barry Letts and Terrence Dicks made Moonbase 3. And Terrence Dicks later said the problem was that it didn't have enough sci-fi for sci-fi fans... And it had too much sci-fi for drama
1: fans. (laughs) Yeah.
0: And I think this is the problem I've had with The Orville after two episodes. It doesn't know if it's a drama that occasionally has a witty moment or it's a Seth MacFarlane comedy set in a dramatic universe. And Mm. there are times when you're going, this would be a really good episode of Star Trek and now he's having a silly fight on the bridge with his ex-wife. Yeah. I'll be very interested to see which direction it goes in because at the moment it's not quite sitting well with me particularly in a couple of weeks time when star trek discovery comes out
1: yeah that's right in fact that's popped up on netflix here in australia i don't know if it's on netflix all around the world or whether it's just netflix here but i know that i'll be able to watch that as each episode comes out
0: yeah so i'll be interested to see how that compares i have also watched the first episode of the good doctor that wasn't too bad although like every medical drama i don't know how sustainable it'll be but it won't be bad but yeah, there's a few more TV shows coming out I'm going to discover. Maybe my next favourite TV show on My Next Love could be just around the corner.
1: Yeah, oh, that's that's a very exciting feeling. I'll just say on the Orville, I've not seen the Orville yet, but I've been excited to see it since I first heard about it a few months ago. After the first episode, I saw some people say, oh, it's really great that they're letting the drama actually play out and it's not just joke after joke after joke. Maybe after two or three episodes, that same person might be saying what you're saying, like, Mm, they do let the drama play out here, but then they go to a joke and maybe it doesn't quite fit, you know? So I'll I'll look, I'll go into it with an open mind, but I can see where you're coming from and can see where there might be potential issues.
0: I'll be interested to hear your verdict, if you've seen a few by the time we do our next recording.
1: Okay. Meanwhile, for me, I've been very late to this party, but I've been watching Rick and Morty and I've uh, caught up to the current episodes where we're actually watching them week by week. And I've got to say, particularly these last few episodes, I've never watched Darker. (laughs) entertainment in my life I don't think it's it's really wow it's actually quite subversive some of the dark stuff they pile in there amongst all the jokes oh, interesting
0: I haven't seen it a few people have recommended it to me and I, I will try and check it out sometime if, if life gives me a few spare hours uh, I did actually see a tweet about that today purely by coincidence that said clearly Rick and Morty has now got popular enough for people to pretend they don't like it to seem cool <laughs>
1: yeah well this is the third series they're just about to wrap up so yeah it's probably around that time for a backlash
0: interesting Mm. so for those who haven't checked out our buffy episode in the last month we encourage you to do that because it is designed for people who both have seen the show and want to reminisce with us but also for those who know nothing about it to learn what it's about
1: that's right, and of course we also have all our usual content up on the feed, including Random Fandom, our new show from the guys who used to do the Letter Lords, Jim Cameron and Bob Fleming, You and Who talking, all that good stuff, it's all there on the feed, check it out.
0: And what's our main topic for next month, Rob? I think you're going to want to tell us what this one is.
1: I do, Dave, because our topic next month is Davo.
0: Next month we're all about Devo.
1: Oh, we're all about the Devo. Ah. <laughs> I am very excited about that, yes.
0: I've, I've already got a number of thoughts to, to discuss. I think well, there's going to be a lot to thrush out about Mr. Davison's era.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think so. It's going to be really good. And I'm not going to be silly and keep saying it's the best era in Doctor Who and all that stuff. I, I do want to have a serious conversation about it.
0: It's... No, but I reckon that'll probably be in your opening monologue. Oh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and on that bombshell.
1: Yes, on that bombshell, we'll be back on October 29 with the October episode. Oh, my God, the year's disappearing. Lots of fun.
0: Until then, enjoy the month and we'll talk to you in four weeks' time.
1: We sure will. See you then. Bye. You've been listening to The Doctor Who Show, the podcast where too much Doctor Who is barely enough. Subscribe to us on iTunes or listen through the website at www.thedwshow.net. Write to us at hello at thedwshow.net or send us a quickie on Twitter at thedwshow. Facebook.com forward slash The DW Show is also a good place to find us if you're so inclined. Our version of the Doctor Who theme arranged by George Locke. Look him up on YouTube, folks. This podcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. Doctor Who, or names and sounds and any other related items are trademarks and or copyrights of the BBC. All other trademarks and trade names are properties of their respective owners. The official Doctor Who website can be found at www.bbc.co.uk forward slash Doctor Who. Is that you knocking? No, that's the cat. Jesus.